listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Identification. Hello my dear radio friends I'm glad you've tuned in today to hear more from God's Word, the Bible Today's program is an important one as it involves challenges about your personal philosophy around the theme of who you are Are you aware that when males meet someone they did not previously know They are interested in different things than females. When a man meets someone new, the first thing you want to know is the name of the other person. The same goes for females. After the introduction, it isn't long before the male asks, What do you do? He wants to know what the other person's job is, what he does for a living. Females are less interested in that. They're more interested in family. So, for males, they identify themselves and other people by their occupations. And perhaps that explains why males, when they retire, often go through some sort of self-image crisis. Another troubling identity problem is when someone is referred to as so-and-so's brother or son or wife or whatever it is. That usually is an indicator that the other person referred to is more important than the one you newly meet. Some regard it as a subtle put-down. Here's an example. I'd like to introduce you to Colin. Colin is the brother of Alison, the TV presenter on Channel 9. Now, how does Colin feel? Of course, he feels somewhat inferior because Alison is the notoriety. When I was a child, on Monday mornings in primary school, All the children were required to attend a whole school assembly. We would stand in year levels, the younger, smaller children near the front and the older, taller ones near the back. Part of the assembly included what was known as the affirmation of loyalty. In chorus we were required to say the following I am an Australian I love my country I salute her flag I honour her queen I promise to obey her laws When we said I love my country we put our right hands over our hearts Naturally, when we saluted the flag, we saluted. And when we promised to obey her laws, 
we held up our right hands at right angles, palms forward, as a gesture of honest intention. The affirmation of loyalty is no longer practised in schools. Although I feel in its time, it was probably a good thing, outlining the responsibilities that children have to the wider community. But did you notice the first thing that we had to say? It was, I am an Australian. As children, we took that for granted. But in reality, we were identifying ourselves as citizens of the country I personally love. So, how are you usually identified? For example, are you the man with roses in your front garden and who drives a white Hyundai? Or are you the woman who wears a uniform and leaves home early? I would like to suggest that we are identified by the following. Firstly, our sex, whether we're male or female, our age, our nationality, our province or state, our material possessions, our looks, our achievements, our jobs, our homes, our location, our characters, our habits and our philosophical or religious persuasions. So, to use myself as an example, I am a male. I am Australian by birth. I am over 50 years old. I live in South Australia. I am probably regarded as middle class. I live in a two-storey house. I own two cars and several motorbikes. I am of average build. I have tertiary education qualifications. I live in the northern suburbs of Adelaide. I am an early riser and I am a Christian. <laughs> so now you know all about me, eh? <laughs> of all those identifiers, which one do you think is the most important? Personally, of all those identifiers, the one I think is most important is the last one. That is, that I am a Christian. Of all the identifiers pertaining to you, which one would you most want to be known by? In the Bible, the Apostle Paul stands out as one of its greatest characters. He was also at one stage of his life one of its greatest villains. Paul, as you may know, was a missionary to the Gentiles. He was one of the main people to bring the good news of salvation to pagan people and he raised up many churches in what is now known as Asia Minor and Southern Europe. 
At one time, Paul had returned to Jerusalem to carry out a vow. Some Asian Jews saw him there in the temple, and to cut a long story short, raised a hullabaloo to the degree that a riot began. Paul was arrested by the Roman commander, and while being led away, he asked, May I speak to the people? And we read about what he said in Acts chapter 22. And in verses 3 to 5, Paul identified himself. He said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most highly respected teachers. I was taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous towards God as you are all today. I persecuted this way that is the Christian church, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I received letters to the brethren. He had pointed out his zealousness, but also the evil that he was involved in. And then he went on to explain why he changed. And instead of persecuting Christians became one himself. But you will notice that he established his identity. He was a Jew, born as a Roman citizen. He received the highest education possible and the most rigorous training possible at that time. He was extremely zealous and did his utmost to advance the cause of the Jews. He even took an active role in putting down the new anti-Jew religion that had sprung up, and he was supported by the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem. Several other times, Paul made his defence, and on each of those times, he referred to his ancestral background, his associates, his achievements, and his zealousness. They were the things that people identified him by, and he was feared by many. He was the head of what we might call today the SS, or KGB. Despite Paul's high achievements, following his conversion, a dramatic change took place in his life, and he wrote about it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 9, where he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things for loss, for the excellent of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him. What a change. Paul was prepared to throw away all the achievements and reputation he had worked so hard for before and now even considered them as rubbish. What he found in Christ was of much greater value than all what he had before. He goes on to say, that I may know him, that's Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain the resurrection of the dead. In Paul's changed life, his identity was linked to Christ, and it meant so much to him that he was prepared to die for the sake of Christ. And you know, since then, millions of Christians have been persecuted and martyred for the sake of Christ too. It meant so much to them that they were willing to give their lives rather than to fall back to where they were before. To identify as a Christian has, at past times and in some countries at the present times, is a risk. We're going to have a little break and go on straight afterwards.
while she was certainly singing with plenty of enthusiasm. Just before the break, I mentioned to identify as a Christian has at past times and is now in some countries a risk. In my library, I have two editions of the book, Fox's Books, Book of Martyrs. And these are not the most pleasant books to read, as they contain hundreds of gruesome stories of how good Christian people, mostly Protestants, were persecuted and killed for their faith. Not only were they killed because they stood up for Jesus Christ, but often their families were killed and their property was confiscated too. Unfortunately, the persecutions and assassinations were performed mainly under the authority of the Roman Church. The 1926 edition of Fox's Book of Martyrs, pages 172 and 173, begins the account of the persecutions, persecutions in the Netherlands. If you don't know where the Netherlands is, that's another name for Holland. I want to share just one story out of the multi-millions of what it meant in those times to be identified as a Bible-believing Christian. The lady's name was Wendela Nuta, a, window, a widow and a Protestant. She was arrested for her beliefs, not because she was a threat to society or a lawbreaker. Several monks then tried to make her recant those beliefs, but without success. Wendell Anuta was put in a dungeon, awaiting the time when she would give in to the monks' attempts or be executed. In, their, in those days, there was no fair trial. If you were suspected of anything, especially in believing what the Bible taught, you were considered guilty. Wendell Anuta was faithful and did not give in to the pressure put on her to change her beliefs. Eventually, a Catholic lady who'd been acquainted with Wendell Anuta was given permission to visit her in the hope that she would recant. Expa exasperated with her lack of success in convincing the prisoner to change her mind, the Catholic lady exclaimed, If you will not embrace our Catholic faith, at least keep the things which you profess secret within your own bosom and strive to prolong your life. In other words, she was saying, deny your conscience, obtain your freedom by professing to belong to the Catholic faith, although you will at heart be a Protestant. Now, Wendell Anuta positively refused. Her goods and property were confiscated, and she was condemned to be burnt at the stake. At the place of execution, a monk held up a cross to her and bade her kiss it and worship God. She answered, I worship no wooden God, 
but the eternal God in heaven. And then she was strangled to death, and her body burnt at the stake. In France, in 1572, on St. Bartholomew's Day, in one day 70,000 people were executed and their bodies thrown into the River Seine so that the water looked like blood. The cost of identifying as a Christian was high in those days. The Apostle Paul, it is thought, lost his own life as a martyr. Tradition tells us he was beheaded. It's quite likely that Paul was aware of the words of Jesus when he said, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And that's from John twelve twenty-five. Simply put, Jesus was saying, If you want to preserve your life at any cost, you'll lose it. But if you put me first, you'll be given eternal life. In Luke 14, verses 27 to 32, Jesus said some very sobering words. He said, Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So what does the cross in this case represent? It means burdens. It means unpopularity. It means being different. It means standing up for your Lord. It may mean facing death for what you believe. Jesus then gave two examples after what he had just said. Firstly, he mentioned someone wanting to build a tower who sits down and estimates if he has enough money to finish the project. And secondly, he mentioned a king about to go to war with another king, although the first king has only half as many soldiers. The king has to think seriously about going to war or maybe sending a delegation to arrange terms of peace before any battle begins. Now, as you read these passages in Luke 14, you might wonder what those examples have to do with Jesus' previous statement. In fact, it has everything to do with it. You see, when a person decides to follow Jesus, he or she is wise to weigh up the positives and negatives, the pros and the cons. You have to ask yourself, if I follow Jesus, will that be worth all the troubles and problems I might, might encounter? Is it worth giving up those sins I like so much? Is it worth perhaps losing my friends? And then you have to consider, what benefits will I gain if I follow Jesus? Is there anything worth the losses I might have to deal with? Will I be happier? Will I be better off? To identify yourself as a Christian could be
be very costly. My friends, I've had to make a choice whether to follow Jesus or not. I've had to consider the outcomes, the positives and the negatives. And I think you know how I have decided. I consider eternal life to be of much, much, much greater value than the few fleeting pleasures this world can offer. I can relate to what the Apostle Paul, who lost his life because he was a Christian, had to say. And he said, I count all things loss or rubbish for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And then he continues, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And if you want to read that, it's in Philippians chapter 3. And I suggest to you, my friends, that you cannot be a secret Christian for very long. The fact that you are a Christian must show, and you will in one way or another be identified as a follower of Jesus. But first you need to count the cost. Is it worth it? Or, to put it another way, would I be a fool to reject God's offer? My mind is made up. I will serve the Lord and obey him. But the big question is, what about you? Are you just drifting along, thinking that you're okay? Or perhaps are you sitting on the fence, undecided which way to go? I sincerely urge you, my friend, make the choice. And I hope you will make the choice that I made. Well, that's it for today. I'm glad you've joined me. And until next time, I wish you God's blessings and a determination to identify yourself as someone who is a follower of of Jesus. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Oh, the joy 
of this glory has thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul it is well with my soul it is well it is